0: So this is is an actual slip angle? This is an actual
1: slip angle. Well, the other thing was kind of a slip angle, too, but, like, you know, it's it's, it's different. Um, Hey, everybody. Welcome to Slip Angle. Uh, Back on the line is Andy Smedgaard, who is a longtime Gridlife driver, supporter, racer, um, like, general awesome dude. And uh, to my knowledge, one of the very few original grid life one attendees. I don't know how many people were there, but I feel, uh, like so much personal regret that I wasn't involved at that time. Um, because it's just like, it was a like It was like, Oh, I was at, I was at grid life one.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just a, a event we stumbled across on, I think Facebook and, um, a couple of buddies were just like, what is this? Let's go check it out. It's super cheap track time at Gingerman. So and it ended up being very cool. Does that,
1: I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think you've missed more than one recently. How many of them have you attended?
0: I, th- I think I've, I've made every of, of the Gingerman festivals. I think I've made every single one except for one. And
1: that was because, uh, I think it was the same weekend as maps, uh, PG, right?
0: I believe so. I can't remember too many events. Yeah,
1: too many <laughs> events. So, uh, we're like getting ready to start the grid life season. It's, it's the beginning of January. And I think, uh, in early February there's ice battle planned. So, and I think it's like averaging between one and two events from February to October. So it's going to be a busy year.
0: Yes. Very busy. I'm already getting anxiety about it.
1: What's on, um, what's on your calendar for this year?
0: Um, well, I want to hit as many of the grid life events as possible. Um, I haven't really ironed out the exact schedule yet, but, um, we're going to try doing at least myself. I want to do GLTC stuff. Um, and then, um, beyond the grid life stuff, I, we do, I help run a local club where we do local autocross and ice racing and, and stuff. So I'm obviously try to do that. Um, what other events are there? few drift events here and there. Yeah. And um,
1: I guess uh, GTA is going to both Palmer and back to road Atlanta this year. Um, I've driven at Palmer. I think that's going to be a gnarly event.
0: Um, oh yeah. I would, I do want to, um, I haven't made the, any plans yet, but I would love to hit Palmer. That looks like an awesome track. Um, I,
1: my experience was that in the rain, it scared the bejesus out of me.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, my, my biggest concern at that event was not going fast. It was don't crash.
0: Right. And it's a track on like what? A cliff. So, And like, it's
1: easy to say that. Um, no, but it, like it quite literally is mountain face on one side of the road and cliff on the other. It is, it's the wildest place to build a circuit that I've ever imagined.
0: Yeah, I I've walked that track at one lap, but I've never got to drive it. Uh, we made we made Brandon Ranvek. We made him drive it that time because it was so so rainy, so wet, and new track. None of us have ever been there, and well, I can't and remember what tires we were on, but it wasn't a good rain tire.
1: I think you were on Re seventy ones that year, because you ran. I think so. I know that you yeah, ran that Re's the... in twenty fifteen because that was the first yeah. year the tire was available, and I think right. you did in twenty sixteen as well. And uh, as did I, and I was not pleased with their rain performance.
0: Right. And that was the year it rained like every single event, except for like two.
1: <laughs> oh, and I, I think the craziest thing about Palmer was the main straight kind of coming to start finish is downhill and it's, it's an arc. So it's, it's not actually straight you're turning and at start finish, it was raining so hard that there was standing water running across the track. And, uh, yep. I, I think my car and I'm going slow. My car's doing like 115 going through the puddle. And, and I was like, nah, this is, this is bad. I don't, I don't like this one bit.
0: Yep. You'd, you'd hear everyone's lift. They'd lift off throttle once they got to that section, except for, uh, Robert Thorne. Who he was, was he very was fast. Just flat. Stock GTR on, I think Michelin. I remember, uh, Bro- um,
1: Chris Mayfield being really fast at that event too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Both of those guys are good drivers.
1: So um since the last time you've been on the show, you've done a lot. You run a shop now and you specialize in K swaps, uh predominantly in S two thousand. What else do you put a K motor into? Um,
0: I mean, I I don't want to say I specialize in K swaps and, and and it honestly has just become like everyone thinks we specialize in K swaps, and it's not that's not necessarily true. It's just We've just got a lot of people that have come to us that want to do case swaps. Well, I
1: mean, I guess eventually if you do enough of them and people recognize you as being a leader in that space, like, I, I guess you may not be a, um, you may not <laughs> be exclusively that, but you, you may be an expert at doing it. Sure.
0: Yeah. We, we have done a lot of case swaps, Um a lot of S2s, but I mean, we've done it in, you know, your Honda Civics and, you know, uh, we've done it in an FD. Uh, I had one in an RX eight. I guess I've, I've done a few K swaps you finish in- that
1: project. I remember, uh, it was what a year or a year, year, and a half ago. Uh, I was at your house and you were working, uh, from your, your shop garage or your garage shop at that time. And you had a, I think it was a blue RX eight that you were fitting a K motor into. Did that project yeah. ever get finished?
0: Well, I mean, it got to the point where it would run and drive and, then there was a lot of other stuff it needed, and I, I just was kind of running out of maybe time and motivation. Um, it just didn't make much sense to me. It didn't fit well in the chassis, and everything had to be modified. And well, that's kind of I a shame up,
1: because uh, I, I think shells for RX eights are cheap because the right. motors in and, them are not good.
0: Yeah, and they are, and and that's kind of why I w- wanted to try that chassis. But it just nothing was fitting very well. It required too much modification of everything else. The engine basically had to sit inside the, the cockpit of the car. It I don't know. I just kind of gave up on it. It just why just do just get an S two thousand if you if you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. The RX 8s a cheap chassis, but you have to modify so much more stuff to make it work.
1: Well, I guess speaking to that, um, I saw right before the new year that. Um, K Power or K Miata did put in a uh, a K motor into a BRZ, which I think is is kind of a natural choice because it's another chassis that is really good, but the yep. that power plant in it is is not. Um, yep. And so, so I imagine those shells will become cheaper as more of those motors blow.
0: Yep. And that's that we're currently working on a project too where we're doing um, we're working with TF Works and um, a local. A local friend um, that has an FRS. We're doing a case swap in it, so um, I think you're going to see a lot more of those probably in your future. Those chassis are so abundant, and yeah, the FA motors aren't that. I remember when that
1: chassis came out and people were paying dealer markup for one of those, and that like now to me that just seems crazy because they're (laughs) so available and you can get them for cheap.
0: Yep, and I I bet the price of those chassis are going to go down a little bit more yet, so.
1: Well, I I think probably it's a little bit different than an S2 as well in that, like, uh, to make the the BRZ do what you want as a track car, um, you're going to probably want or need some of that additional aftermarket work, um, unlike an S2, which we talked about on the lunch breakdown. So, like, I, I imagine the values for BRZs will probably stay low because the number of buyers that are, like, you know, looking for that shell to do a very specific thing will probably be a lot less than the drivers looking for a clean S2.
0: Yeah. Yep. For sure. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, for, I think about 18 months, you've been working on a DCT swap into something in this case, <laughs> an S2. How's that been yeah. going?
0: Uh it finally has got to the point where it's, really fun <laughs> i i've it's it's been in the planning stages for a long time and and it, it was kind of a, a project that was not necessarily on the back burner but just kind of something that has been going on in the background for a while here and um i was always like i, I wasn't always super excited about it because it was I, I knew that the amount of work needed to make it work was a lot but we we kind of kept plugging away little by little and it got closer and closer and finally to the point where we, we got it actually in the car and running. And um, now I'm just so pumped about it because it, it works so good. I'm super excited to see how it works on track.
1: So I saw that you made a, um, a Facebook post a couple of days ago to answer a couple of introductory questions for people who might hit you up about DCT swaps into anything. First, yeah. you said, uh, this is not an easy swap. And two, this is not a cheap swap. So, uh, let's, let's tackle the first point. What, now that you've kind of figured some things out, um, what are the major things that
0: make it still, uh, a very difficult item to do? Well, um, number one is there's not much for off the shelf, um, parts. So you're kind of stuck making your own adapter plates and flywheel adapters, um, currently. I, I really do think this is going to change the next within the next year or so. You're going to start seeing a lot more aftermarket comp, uh, or aftermarket parts and, and companies coming out with stuff, which is going to help a lot. Uh, but as of right now, there's not much. So you're kind of making your own stuff. So you've got on one end, you've got the, you know, mating the, the trans to whatever engine. So you've got to make your own adapter plate and then a flywheel adapter of some sort. And, um, the other end is a drive shaft, which isn't that complicated and maybe a trans mount, which again, isn't that complicated. The other big part is wiring. It's, it's pretty intense to rewire the entire Mechatronics unit. Um, because you're now basically wiring a full standalone GCU to the trans. So there's a
1: gearbox control unit.
0: Correct. Yep. Yep. And there's a lot of wiring there. So, I mean, you've got, uh, for the trans we're using, for example, has, um, I think there's about 30, 20, I can't remember exactly, about 30 wires going inside the trans, wiring up to various sensors and solenoids and stuff. Um, so you have a lot of wiring there you have to do, um, a lot of small little soldering stuff. And then you're also trying to integrate the GCU in with your, engine ecu so the engine also has to be you know you have some sort of shift cut or power cuts on up shifts and then down shifts you have to be able to like blip throttle and stuff to make smooth down shifts does that so there's
1: does that like by necessity mean that a car that if a customer comes in and they're looking to do a swap like this does that almost guarantee that they're going to need a standalone ecu to even like to even consider it
0: well to to make it work well um you don't necessarily need, need needs a i don't know i guess that's a hard a, a hard word um you, well, you can I, I ship guess, would this it, trans- would it
1: be always the more effective uh, cost effective option to have a standalone to do this
0: cost effective no i mean you could you can run this trans without you know hardly anything to the engine ecu you don't necessarily need shift cuts you don't necessarily need throttle blips but it's not going to be very smooth um you know it's like you trying to downshift without heel towing i mean yeah it works it's just not (laughs) right um so to make it work well you're going to need probably not necessarily just a standalone ecu but an ecu that's Capable, um, And what we're using on, like, Alex's car, for example, is just an AEM Infinity, which is borderline capable. Um, we can make it work through some roundabout ways, uh, but it's probably not the most ideal.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that to try and achieve, like, you know, Porsche PDK OEM drivability <laughs> is almost impossible.
0: It, I don't want to say impossible, but it definitely... It is definitely... Difficult for one person with limited time to be able to pull off something that can drive as well as, like, yeah, Porsche PDK. And if if you've never driven a Porsche PDK, those things, the the trans on those is just, it's so good.
1: Well, and I'm I'm, I know that I don't want this to go to like a a save the manuals uh, rant, but. Uh, it is remarkable that the PDK is as good as it is, and it's it's no doubt that it is faster, uh, f- you know, both to drive and uh, makes the drive easier on the driver. Um, that said, it is still kind of a shame that the skill required to drive a manual uh, with like the finesse uh, required on track is uh, is it's like less important now because like <laughs> it, it's a cool skill, but like no one who's really fast is going to be using a manual anymore.
0: Right. I mean, it's the same kind of thing with like ABS, right? You know, you can be a really good driver without ABS, or you can just have ABS and ABS will save you for those few little times.
1: Well, and there's, I guess that'll always be the next most important skill, right? Like breaking without ABS is a really valuable skill, or at least it was for a period. Um, and then once ABS modules came out and they started to get good drivers could focus on the next most important thing. Right.
0: Right. So yep. what, and, do you, what do you, and think? that's exactly it. Like you, when you build a car to, you know, for the track and you want it to be good, if, if the suspension isn't good, if it's really hard to be, you know, if, if it requires such a smooth driver, you know, it's, it's, it's having to take away other, um, the attention of the driver to try to, be smooth. You know, sure. if, if you can make something easy to drive, why not? Yeah, of course. It's, it's only, only like, going to make it that much faster.
1: Something that's easy to drive will probably always be faster than something that's hard to drive mm-hmm. because it takes some fraction of your focus to drive a difficult to drive car.
0: Exactly. Yep. So the, the goal is always to make the car as easy to drive as possible.
1: So uh, I, I think this podcast is going to meander a little bit, but I was talking with Um, Brandon Ranbeck about his car in street class and what else could be done to make it faster. So I I don't think it's, um, it's not a stretch to say that Brandon is a really, really talented driver. Um, But at the moment uh, the competition balance of performance, I think lends itself a little bit toward uh, turbocharged cars. And so uh, we were, we were talking a little bit about what might be done to make uh, his E36 with an s54 uh, a little bit faster, what do you think um, for someone who who might be coming with an n a car like a you know a BMW or whatever, what kind of setup do you think would be uh, useful to run in street class to try and be at the front like what does and or excuse me what does Brandon need to change to to get a couple seconds
0: Oh <sighs> there's a few things. And I I think the biggest thing right now on Brandon's car is weight, getting that thing a lot lighter. Um, it's still really a full weight E36. We haven't done any weight reduction stuff to that thing at all. What Um, does it weigh right now? What does it weigh right now? Yeah. Probably at least three. Uh, I honestly, I couldn't tell you, but I remember being somewhat heavy. I thought it was like a little over 3000 pounds. Yeah. Which isn't, I mean, that's not light at all for a rear-wheel drive car. So, doing getting it lightweight would help. Um, getting maybe a little wider wheel under there uh, to take advantage of, you know, like the two eighty-five width. Sure. That help. Um, if I remember
1: though, the last time we were at Barber, that setup was was new for him, and um, he was kind of rubbing in corners. Are are you limited by what can fit underneath the um the the wheel arches of the E thirty six?
0: Um, I believe see, this is where you, you'll have to correct me. I I don't know I don't read the rules <laughs> or pay attention that much, but I believe you can do flares in street class, right? That's right. Okay. So and I believe at that with Barber, that was like right when he got the S fifty four done, and that was without any flares at all. So now he has I believe he has flares on it now and can fit a wider wheel. Got it. So, so, I
1: mean, that'll help him a little bit with, uh, with corner speeds. Um, I, I don't know what, if any, modifications that he's made to the braking system, but he and I were chatting, And to me, that felt like, um, you know, re- reducing the weight will help you pick up some acceleration and a wider wheel will help increase your maybe min uh, or average corner speeds. Uh, what if anything needs to be done to the braking system in a car like that in order to kind of get the most performance out of that as possible?
0: I, I, he probably does have some gains there in just the braking. Uh, maybe with a, a little just—it's a still the stock E36 M3 brakes, so maybe bigger brakes would help a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not—I'm not too sure. I honestly, I haven't really—I haven't got to driven that car or anything. I don't—I don't know what it really or truly needs um, to make it super competitive. But I think adding a little bit more power uh, would definitely help. Getting it lighter would help. Um, Have you,
1: have you cracked into one of those S54s before? Like, have you, have you done a higher compression motor or anything like that to make some more power?
0: Kind of. I haven't like, I I usually don't do the actual engine builds, but I've, I've done a couple um, E46s with built up S54s. And you can get into the mid 300 horse range doing higher compression and, and maybe some cams or something. Um, it's, it's doable. His, his build right now is very basic. It's a stock S 54 with E 85 and just intake. And and I, I don't want to even say exhaust because it's still running the stock E 36 M3 exhaust, which is super restrictive. I believe he's still got the cats on there. Um, so I mean, he's got a cool car. There's, yeah he's, he's got a lot of room to grow with that car yet it's it's super basic, super simple um, nothing fancy about that at all
1: well uh, um, walk me through a little bit because um, this this is your business and you kind of specialize in this A uh, customer comes in they have an e36 uh, or maybe they tell you they want to find one um, to to replicate Brandon's build from from the ground up. how expensive is that to
0: actually do <laughs> Let uh, like Brandon's entire build or just the S54 swap?
1: Oh, let's, let's talk about the entire build.
0: So his, his build again, pretty simple. Um, it's, it's an E36 M3. That's how it started. It's got super basic suspension. I believe it's just Reinhardt, um, some Reinhardt R1s, which are aren't much 1600 bucks. I think, um, we did a couple bushings, um, that can't be too much i don't know a couple hundred bucks in bushings we did a, a different diff right away because those those e36s are geared super high i, I can't remember what they were like a three four or three five stock and we geared it down to a three nine what diff did you put and in we we put an ats, ATS carbon right, yep. the hybrid the diff in and then um and then the s54 uh, s54s are the price of those are going up they seem to be about 4500 to five thousand for like a used s54 swap uh, to swap that in I don't know uh, there was maybe a couple thousand dollars of swap components um, they bolt right in so there's not not a whole lot you needed but yeah his cars again it's pretty basic um, I would say to replicate Brandon's car if you've had an e36m3 you might need maybe about I'd say ten thousand. That's kind of what I was
1: thinking. <laughs> um, and for a car that I, I, I think you said on our lunch breakdown, cars that are valuable to you are ones that can go out and run laps, can run twenty minutes, thirty minutes, whatever, uh, and yep. just go and go and go. Um, yeah, ten thousand dollars for a setup like that, I think is, I think that's a bargain.
0: Right. I, I, I've about a, uh, four or five years ago, I had this like epitome that. Like cars need to be able to, I don't know. It's not a good car if it can't do half hour sessions anymore. If it can only do like four or five laps and then things start overheating, it's not, I don't know. To me, that's just a time attack car again. And if, if you're out after a lot of track time, you need a car that can just do 30 minutes, you know, or or it should be able to do endurance racing. It should, it shouldn't, um, it should be able to just, Keep going. Um, well, I mean,
1: uh, depending on your tire, tire choice, you're going to find the limit of the tire pretty quick after a few laps. Sure. But at the same time, like even in a time attack session, you know, you may want to get your perfect lap down on lap one like everyone else does. But at this, I mean, you may not have that opportunity. Something may happen to you or to you or your lap. You may make a mistake or someone might have an incident that slows you down a little bit. Sometimes you may want to be out there running to lap nine or 10. And Mm -hmm. if you have a car that can only make one attempt, that's not really an option for you anymore.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, Yeah. I mean, if the car can't keep, keep going, you know, then yeah, you're at, you're at the mercy of the car. So you as a driver, if you're just out after trying to learn and get the most seat time and, and perfect your driving, you need a car that can just keep going.
1: Well, I would say that that was probably the biggest mistake that I made as a driver um, was uh, starting with the Evo, which was a modified street car, um, full bolt-ons basically, and I felt um, an unreal or like a, a a fake pressure to modify to go faster, or to to have a car be more powerful, you know, better brakes, better better whatever's. Um, and, and everything that I was doing was spending money, making the car, uh, quote better. And what that meant was that I didn't have a ton of money available to, to run 15 track days a year, but I would argue that I'd be a better driver today if I had spent that money on just going to track days with a slower car than, than trying to modify the Evo to be crazy.
0: Yep. Yeah. You can spend a bunch of money on your car to make it faster or you can spend a bunch of money on yourself to make you faster.
1: Well, on top of that like um and and outside of the time attack environment, um I think that cars that make more than 4 450 or 500 wheel horsepower are scary to drive. They're way <laughs> too fucking fast.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, they they can be. Um especially like, on tracks. If you
1: aren't as skilled as the performance potential of your car. I think it's really dangerous. Um, you know, there's no limit to what you can go out and buy in terms of performance. Uh, but you can go out and hurt yourself pretty easily by just making a small mistake. If you have a car that has 700 wheel horsepower.
0: Yeah, for sure. Plus with that much power, you're, you're not really spending that much time learning. You're just trying to hang on to this car. Um, it's it's so hard to learn on such such high horsepower cars.
1: Well, I I think I, I agree with you and I think in part it's because it's so easy to appear fast if you can be fast on the straights, right? Like you know, running <laughs> running a 140 at Gingerman is a challenging thing to do. Um but in a car that makes a whole lot of horsepower, it's a lot harder to do than an NAS 2000.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And I I really do think you need to learn to be able to drive everything, uh, starting with a momentum car and then, you know, work your way up to a high horsepower car. But the faster you can be in that momentum car, the faster you will be in a high horsepower car.
1: So, um, let's, let's take your experience in the Evo and the S2. If you're working on your momentum comfort level in, you know, minimum corner speeds, I think that's, that's something about Jackie that I really admire is, uh, Jackie corners remarkably fast, especially in his, uh, when he was driving his S2. Um, I mean, obviously it's lower power, so he's not making up a ton of time on the straights, but like his corner speeds were really impressive. Uh, how much, uh, if any skill translates into your competition chassis, uh, in, in those corner speeds or your comfort level going through corners that way.
0: Uh-huh. How much translate? Say like, that again. So if
1: uh, if you work really hard in your momentum car and you get really comfortable, you know, with uh, getting all the speed there is through corners mm-hmm. um, and then you, you kind of jump into your competition car, how much of that do you think carries over?
0: I mean, it should all carry over. Um, I mean, it, it depends, I guess, if you're talking two different cars, depending on the difference of those, those two chassis, but so, I mean, um, you know, if you, if you can, yeah, I mean, I don't know, you want to carry the most most momentum you possibly can with whatever chassis you're given. So if if you don't learn to carry momentum, you know, you're just, you're going to hurt yourself in whatever chassis you run.
1: Well, you've, you've kind of got the extreme ends, right? You've got a, you know, six, hundred seven hundred 700 horsepower Evo, and you've got a 200 horsepower S 2000. Do you think that it's all the driving that you do with the S two that makes you fast in the Evo?
0: Um, kinda. I mean, the, the the chassis might, I guess, uh, react a little differently, but uh, you know, an S two obviously might have a little bit more. I guess like, it's hard to say. It's it's hard to compare two two chassis with you know one extreme one. You know, one maybe higher power, but maybe has more arrow, and and another that's more balanced but less arrow and less power. So it's it's hard to compare the two chassis, but um, I do think if you learn momentum driving, you know, in a low power car, it it will until you get comfortable at least with high horse the high horsepower car. It's it's going to help you.
1: Gotcha. So uh, I think we. I want to move us back. Like I said, we're going to meander a little bit, and I think it's in part because of this uh, this Manhattan I had, which was delightful. But <laughs> uh, uh, you you talk about building your uh, ability as a driver, you know, developing that that familiarity with momentum and preserving it. Um, a customer comes to you, and they're a skilled driver in an S two, and they've already done their K swap, and they're saying, "Man, I'd really like a DCT. I think that's the next thing." Um, like what? what other um i i guess you talked a little bit about like getting parts for and and how there's everything's kind of custom right now but like what are the what are the frontiers for you like what are the things that you still need to get better at what were the really the really hard parts with programming that you had to work through
0: uh wiring i think is still again the the hard part with those um it. I guess I'm, I'm I keep learning more and more every single time I do it uh, with Alex's car for example we um when we first started I wired up the first mechatronics and everything and um we got it in the car and everything and everything's it, it seemed to work but the trans was still doing something goofy and I, I, I don't know what it was yet I still haven't really dug into the old wiring of the with the old mechatronics and stuff but um the wiring is the hard part with those. And that's what I'm, I've been learning little tricks and methods and stuff to make that easier. Um,
1: So uh, when I was there, you showed me a little bit about, you know, your, your soldering station and your wiring station. I think you need like a, you know, a, a, a double E like electronic or electrical engineering intern to like help you just solder stuff. You no, know, I, right. I worked with a guy in grad school who was, a, I think it was a double E, um, in, in his undergraduate and in his, uh, his PhD pursuit. And like, uh, practically he had remarkable, uh, ability to solder circuit boards and do things. Um, and that's, I think it's a, uh, um, what's the right word? It's a different skill set than maybe you would have to have as just being a, a typical mechanic.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and that's what it, I, I don't claim to be an expert with really anything. So I'm, I'm always learning. And with that the whole wiring stuff with the DCT, I mean, I, I've done a decent amount of wiring before. I've wired up my own engine harness and stuff, but the DCT stuff was a little bit more difficult than i was anticipating so i do yeah really learn how to solder stuff i mean in small little soldering pads i mean there there's the the um i don't know you you just have to be very skilled at that stuff and and i haven't done a lot of soldering at that level before so um just learning you know learning to do that has is, is just been a challenge and um yeah I'm just trying to get better and better every time i do it to
1: so this, this might be a dumb question, but you know, if you've got those tiny connections that are, uh, aftermarket prepared, I guess, um, how do you ensure as the producer that those connections are going to be reliable, uh, when driving on track or, or, you know, driving for 10,000 miles at a one lap of America?
0: Well, uh, I, I guess I'd have to tell you, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I I'll have to tell you the, uh, the um, answer maybe after we complete you know some track events in one lap of america to see if my work held up (laughs) but you you typically when you when you solder all these things on uh inside the mechatronics and stuff you'll use this potting uh uh, potting glue um it's basically like a kind of like a silicone stuff that you put over all the electrical contacts that keeps keeps things from vibrating apart but um yeah i mean i a lot of the stuff I've, i've i've just been kind of learning as I go and figuring stuff out and I'm hoping it all works. And so far it has, it has been working, but yeah, we haven't gotten on track to really test that yet. So well, we'll see And If it doesn't work, I'll figure out how to make it work better. So
1: um, uh, if you can talk just a little bit, I know that some of the information related to the R and D associated with making all this work, you'd like to hold close to the chest. Um, what trends are you using for this swap And are there other um, um, part numbers that uh, you might want to study and learn in the future that might be more or less available uh, on the, like, used market?
0: Well, the the trans that we're using is an F80 uh, BMW. So this is, I guess, the trans that would be found in maybe some of the newer M4s, um, (laughs) M4s. Some of the thirty fives um, I can't remember the year exactly but the f80 is this the straight six cylinder okay. um, et trans that's the one we're using mainly because it fits inside the bell housing uh or, or inside the the trans tunnel of an s two the there's another dct trans for the BMW out of like the newer e ninety two it's the v eight style. Bell housing doesn't fit inside the trans tunnel very well. Um, how so do you we,
1: figure that out without buying one?
0: <laughs> well, we bought one. <laughs> that's how we figured it out. Okay. Um, I guess
1: the, the, if you buy one and it's not right, you just sell it and you you take the hit on shipping. But like that's that's pretty much it.
0: Right. When when you're when you're doing this kind of work in such early development before it's you know made its way into the mainstream aftermarket. You're you're having to learn stuff the hard way, so we literally have bought in three of these trends to figure out um, which one would work best. And um, we've we've bought many things twice just because we've had to. You know we've either made mistakes or you know we just want to learn it again. So we've we we'll try. Like I've wired up three of these mechatronics units already. Just to try to figure out the best way to do it, um, I've had to reverse engineer the entire wiring of the whole mechatronics to figure out how to wire it up. Um, there's, there's just so much to learn on this, and it's and the information isn't out there, so we have to kind of learn it ourselves and figure it out ourselves.
1: Gotcha. So uh, I'm I'm going to give you a hypothetical. A customer <laughs> yeah. comes to you and they still have an F series S2000, and they say. I want you to DCT swap my, my S2, uh, like, and, and they don't have anything. How much would you expect to price something like this in the future? Or, do, or are you not even there at that point yet?
0: It's, uh, it's hard to really give a price. Cause uh, there are some of the parts that are one off. So we've, we've had to custom make some of our own stuff. Um, and, and that whole process has just been a learning curve on its own i've never really had to go through and try to manufacture my own flywheel adapter and stuff so ballpark price man i, I don't know um 15 twenty thousand somewhere in there that's money I, I i tend to usually estimate high but um yeah i mean it's 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 so hard to estimate right now because there's so many one-off stuff and it usually eventually leads into other stuff you know you you need again like you'd have you'd go down the whole ecu route what engine ecu do you have and they maybe need to upgrade that and it just it's a very slippery slope
1: i mean really at this point so early in the game uh, this might make sense if if this is a competition car and um you know you are you understand the expense associated with building something that's entirely new right so this isn't a it's not an off-the-shelf setup I mean, right. Probably I, your K swaps are at this point kind of off the shelf. Yeah. You can just do. Yeah.
0: yeah, those are a little easier to to kind of figure out. But I, I've had a lot of people ask about the DCT swaps, and I've, I've told most of them, and let, yeah, unless you're trying to do it as a, for a competition, just just wait a year or two, and they will. There, the, the price to do these swaps are probably going to go in half in about a year or two because there's so much more aftermarket stuff coming out for it. The, the trans price might go up, so maybe buy your trans right now because the, the demand is going to go crazy with these trans probably pretty soon. But once there's more, you know, adapter plates and flywheels and just more, yeah, off-the-shelf parts available, you know, then then the price will probably be ten thousand dollars. Not even to do the swap, it'll probably be cheaper than that.
1: Yeah. So uh this morning, James Houghton and I James Houghton and I we we talk. And uh uh he and I this morning were talking about the DCT that is has a torque converter, but it is a DCT in the Acura ILX from twenty sixteen to now. It's an mm. eight speed DCT and obviously it's front wheel drive. And I'm wondering, um, be- because DCTs are allowed in street mod, uh I'm wondering if there is an avenue for a, uh, a hypothetical front-wheel drive car to be fast in street mod with a setup like that, right? Because sure. the ILX be. has a, um, a K24 already, and if you're talking about putting in, you know, a a long block and a DCT into some other shell, I, I have to imagine it'd be a little easier, don't you think?
0: Um. Easier in certain ways, yes. Difficult in other ways. <laughs> so the, the, the problem with the DCT stuff, um, it's, it's so heavy, heavily computerized, right? Like you have to have a controller for it and that kind of stems its own obstacles. Um, so unless you have a way to control it somehow, you know, that...
1: Can't you just that's move all are- the bits from the trans... Couldn't you hypothetically, couldn't you take all the ILX bits and put them into a CRX, which would include the electronics to run it?
0: Well, maybe run it, yes, but then to be able to tune it from there, you know, you might still be able to, to, um, I I guess I'm not too familiar with what kind of aftermarket stuff is out there for it, but yeah, it might be able to drive down the road, but is it going to be a well-tracked type, transmission yeah, you know is, not. I <laughs> to be able to being able to tune some of the stuff is is the other part of it you know making you kind it of just need
1: that aftermarket support that to, to like make it real usable for you
0: right so uh, yeah i don't i don't know i mean it, it could be doable But I think there's other, there's other transmissions that you could use, um, besides that one for front wheel drive. I think there's some Volkswagen options. Yeah. The, um,
1: the, the DSG is, is a really good gearbox. And, um, I, I hope that Micaiah's car is like running this year and everything is perfect because, um, when I rode shotgun at Barber and that was the rowdiest car that, that I remember ever being in, um, (laughs) that car is insane.
0: yeah, and that car once once all the bugs are worked out, that should definitely be a top contender. Um, I don't think anyone's in any of the. I think it's only made what one or two grid life events, and it wasn't running um, well at all at either of those. Kind of troubleshooting some issues, so that car will definitely be one to one to watch out for when once it's all figured out uh
1: for context a a respectable and very fast time at barber uh for a lap is like 135 that's like that's like really fast and Mm -hmm. uh, i went out with micaiah last january and we were running like 32s and 33s kind of like it was nothing he left the trans (laughs) in auto mode and just kind of just kind of
0: drove yep Um, Yep that I, that car is still um it's it's a lot of development it's still a pretty new chassis and he's pushing boundaries with certain things and coming into issues that no one has really experienced because he's just he's the first really to have done this type of stuff on that car so so um, kind of the same thing with the DCT I mean you just to be the first you're always the <laughs> you're always finding the weirdest struggles and
1: well let's let's talk about um Let's, let's start by talking about the the TTRS Makai's car. Um, when you run into stuff that you've never seen before or like don't know who to call, is there like, is there an Audi master tech that you know that might know the answer to some of these questions? Or is it just like, well, just figure it out because no one
0: knows. Most of it's just we, we've got to figure it out. Um, we, we have... Um, in the last few months, we've kind of hooked up with IRAs, uh, a shop that specializes in Audi five cylinders. Um, we've kind of hooked up with him and we actually got a full standalone. that's running Cybex now. And so we've been, um, uh, kind of been learning a little bit of that setup, but, um, but uh, yeah, most of the stuff is just, yeah, we have to figure it out ourselves. There's not, there's no one we can really turn to.
1: Yeah, I, I think um, I was up at your shop last week and you and Makaya were talking about, you know, Haldex units and clutches and like all of this stuff, you know, because because these cars are, are quite literally kind of a hodgepodge of components. Like if you have a mechanical problem with this one widget, you know, do you find that Audi people know more about it or like would would a technical support call to Haldex be more, more practical?
0: Well, I mean, there's not really anyone. We we really can't call Audi and ask them for tips and, and troubleshooting advice or any of that stuff. I mean, there's there really is no one to turn to necessarily. You can turn to some of that, you know, the Audi enthusiasts and stuff. But the amount of people that are really tracking these cars, yeah. I mean,
1: like if you're at the front, there's if
0: yeah, you're there's, running
1: into a problem, there's probably no one that's seen it.
0: Yeah, there's probably there's maybe a handful of people in the U.S. that that heavily track these cars. And when I say track, I don't mean like drag strip track. I'm you know like road course stuff. It's a little different. Um But yeah, there's just not many people to turn to. Um It's still a new platform, and it's not a very common track car. So so fast. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's just gotta gotta figure it out yourself. <laughs> I, I
1: I know that everyone on the show knows how much I love the TTRS but I just don't think people appreciate how much potential is there in the chassis. Not to say that it's, that's cheap or easy to get to, but it, it is there.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really, it, it it definitely has potential. I mean, it's a what 20, I think Makai has got this thing down to like 2,800 pounds without driver. Yeah. Without, I mean, it's, it's a light chassis, all wheel drive, um, you know, it's, it should be an evil killer. Uh, it's, makes, it's a
1: very sturdy drivetrain as well,
0: right? This thing makes um, currently, anyways, it makes about I think it was six ninety wheel horse. <laughs> you know, it's it's stupid, um, and the car is we we've had it working really well at one event once um, when it was only around five hundred horse, and it was insane. Um, we're trying to get it back to that. To where it was. Uh, sure. But we're just kind of fighting some other um, issues right now. And I mean, that's all part of development is, is working through these issues and figuring that stuff out. But once it's figured out, it's going to be pretty quick. Well, um,
1: let, let's talk about that build for just a second. Um, you know, obviously, people build the cars that they want to. And they're, you know, for any given build, there's probably an alternative build of a different car that could get you to the same spot for more or less money. Um, I, I think that car is, is really exceptional. Um, you know, how does a comparably priced Porsche perform relative to that car?
0: That's a good question. And then I'd love to find out. Um, I just can't afford a Porsche. Well, I mean, you can. <laughs> I mean, well, if I sold some stuff, maybe. Um, how many cars do you currently own? I don't know. Five or six. A couple. So, so you've got I a. I sell them all and just get a Porsche. It'd be you, easier. Have, you have three S2000s or just two? Uh, two S two thousands, an Evo. Cause you gave the trainer to Ronnie. Did what? Did
1: you say that you gave the trainer to Ronnie?
0: Yeah. He's supposed to be running it for this next year, GLTC. And then I'm building a new GLTC car. Okay.
1: Um, and then you've got what else you've got a high country dually pickup. That's lovely by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just bought a new truck. Um, so in, in hopes of getting a bigger trailer and stuff to be able to haul more cars to the track, do some more track support stuff
1: uh, Um, is your is your goal to carry three cars or you just want to do like a two car closed or what
0: we're we're trying to figure this out um the 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 goal is to haul as many cars as we can with as least amount of of trucks or drivers as possible so our, our current plan is to maybe get like a four place Uh, trailer. So a four place open trailer and then a two place enclosed trailer and all six cars with just two rigs. That's the current goal. Wow. Yeah. We're we're always, we're always limited to how many cars we can take to the track and more people have to end up bringing their own rigs. And I mean, you have, if you've got six people driving their own truck and trailers all the way to the track versus if we could just have enough, if we'd had trailers that we just haul two rigs with two trailers and all six cars. I mean, the amount of money we could all save would be, be quite a bit. Plus then you don't have to have six people driving and you know, you you know how it is after the event, you leave it.
1: More room for margaritas.
0: Yeah. Right. More people can drink margaritas and then not everyone has to try to make that 1am drive at night all the way home because they have to work on Monday. You know, I
1: just, um, so I, I, I'm gonna say this uh and I know that I'm gonna sound like a douchebag for saying it, but that's that's okay because it's how I felt. Um I signed up for the advanced group at Just Track It and Nabil, uh who I, I don't know personally, but Adam knows him, um, inquired uh very respectfully what my on-track experience was. And I I just I just signed up for the advanced group because that's kind of what I've been running for the last forever. Um but he, uh, Finch, Ryan Finch is going to come with me and he inquired what our on-track experience was. And I know that that's like a, a very typical thing to do for like, you know, a track day, especially with an organization that you don't know. But like, it does seem like once you start to get a, uh, a considerable amount of on-track experience, um, like when, when someone asks you for your experience, if you like list everything out, you kind of sound like a douchebag, don't you? Like if you ran <laughs> yeah. with an organization and they asked you what all your on track experience was, how do you answer that question politely without sounding like a,
0: a douche? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I've just done a bunch of track last 10 years. Like I've been know. on
1: track for, you know, 10 years. I've got a bunch of national autocross titles. Uh, you know, I've, I've finished third in one lap of America. I like once, once you start to have like a whole bunch of events under your belt, it's really, it's, it's not easy or excuse me. It's really easy to sound pompous when you answer that question.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I, I haven't had to do that lately. Cause I've I, a couple of years ago when I started doing up uh, some like open track days with some of these bigger groups, like Chan and JTI and stuff, they asked me those questions a lot. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, given my track experience, hey, I've done grid life, you know, five events this year, eight events this, this year, whatever. Um, I haven't had to do that recently at all because I've already been approved for their advanced group or whatever, but well, yeah, you're like, right. You do sound kind of like a, a cock.
1: Well, like I, I was just kind of making a joke to Adam. I was like, you know, my, my first, my first reaction was like, don't you know who I am? Um, that's <laughs> fucking that's like, Abe. Well, no, mate. I'll be the first to admit that I will not be the fastest driver in the advanced group and I will not be the fastest car in the advanced group, but like I'm competent and I'm not going to like screw anyone yeah. else up on the track, which is very different than like, uh, in my experience, I actually feel remarkably uncomfortable in intermediate groups because, yeah. uh, the intermediate group tends to be a lot of people that think that they're beyond the beginner group, but maybe not yet. Um, uh, familiar enough to, like, be aware of what's around them, you know?
0: Yep, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, advanced, you get a little bit of that in advanced, too. You get people that they really think they should be in advanced. Um, that well, really shouldn't like, be. Or, or, or the guys that are actually maybe decent but have super slow cars. Yeah. It, it's it, And you have closing speeds that are just insane. Too big, yeah. Yeah, like, so,
1: like, it's tricky, right? Because I, I've been to DEs before where you get – the advanced group um, you know, might have a couple of drivers who think that they're heroes, right? And stuff it into the wall in the first session of the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. that, that does happen. And in terms of like where I can be to be minimal impact on anyone else, but like reduce my overall risk around, uh, of people around me, I don't know. It, it might be a crapshoot between advanced and intermediate because uh, I think you get uh, the worst extremes in both of those groups sometimes.
0: Yep. You just have to be a really good heads up driver and and be able to watch out for yourself. You know, you need to be able to read, read other drivers.
1: Yep. Um, I think it helps that, uh, I rode with a couple of people at Barber last year and I, I, I won't say that I'm like experienced with the track, but there are a couple of things at Barber that are um, surprising. Like, uh, when you go under the bridge after turn, what is it? Three or four there's that you know short straight and there's a bridge and there's a mannequin hanging from a bridge that you're driving under uh yep. that's weird and if you're not used to looking at that it might catch your attention at the wrong time
0: <laughs> yeah
1: um yep. so like uh and there are a couple of spots where like the the track kind of falls away from you and whatever and so having having ridden i I feel like I know a little bit more about it but uh i one more thing that i want to talk about we've been on the show for a little bit uh is uh, you travel a lot to different tracks all over the country, whether it be, you know, the Southeast or Far West or the, you know, the the East Coast or whatever. Um, my experience of Barbara last year was that the, like, Southern track culture is very different than Midwest track culture. Uh, do you feel the same way? And can you describe how you think they might be different?
0: Oh, it could definitely be different, but I, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just the only Southern track stuff I've really done is with a couple different groups, um, and and sometimes it's just the following with that group. Like I've I've done a lot of the JTI JTI, which is just track it or chin, um, and that usually seems to attract maybe more of the older gentleman, maybe the the guy with his Porsche that just wants to go have fun for a weekend, not really necessarily doing it for. Him. Uh, competitive or anything like that so i mean i haven't done any much other than that down south so i don't i don't know i can't say for sure um it does seem a little different but well maybe I, i'm just my my biggest
1: uh my first impression when i got there is was like what why on earth did they let riffraff like us into this place <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. We have made quite the impression, I guess, on, on that group. Um, I'm friends with one of the, a a guy down in Alabama um, that knows the guy that organizes the event pretty well. And apparently he, they know who we are. (laughs) Um, We must've made an impact. I don't know. Hopefully a a good one.
1: Well um, I know that uh, Andrew Rains is a friend of the show and is around Barber a lot. Uh, I, on behalf of Gridlife, did send an inquiry to uh, the organizers at Barber to see if, if we could get a future date at that track. And they didn't return my emails. So uh, just know that this is something that I desperately, desperately want to do. Um, mm-hmm. But it yeah. seems like Barber kind of does its own thing. So it, it might be tough for any Gridlifer who wants to run at Barber with us or do a time attack there. I think it would be a, an amazing track to to spectate. Um, it's an amazing track to drive and it's, it's an amazing facility. Um, yeah. it's really it's hard def- to argue with like how awesome that venue is.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely one of the best tracks I think in the U S um, in, in every way. I mean, it's the, the facility's great that the track is, I don't know, it's got lots of elevation and sweepers and kinks and it's got everything. So that would be a cool place to run. Um, but it is definitely a, um, I don't know more sophisticated track. Um,
1: I would say it's an upscale place, right? Like yes. the motorcycle museum is the most incredible automotive museum that I've ever seen in my life. Um and I, I don't know, like the fact that uh, there are three like um terraces of of parking and all of them have power is insane to me. Like <laughs> you could You could put five hundred toter homes there and and it would not be a big deal.
0: Yep. (laughs) Um,
1: it's it's such a crazy place and it's a fun place to drive, that's for sure.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um so for uh what what do you have to do on your own cars to prepare for this event that we're going to in a couple of weeks?
0: So um, What are you gonna take? I I think I'm gonna take um, both of my S twos. We're gonna take trainer one and trainer two hopefully um i still got to finish a lot of stuff on trainer two but that's hopefully going to be the shakedown event for that car um and then i already have um pete and i if uh pete's the uh pete's the crazy guy i hang out with that has the ms7 and pete has been on the show uh, yeah They'll yeah probably so be on have the show another... again at barber yep so pete and i both left our our we call them our drift trainers. So by three Z and his um, he's got a regular M3 we left down in Alabama. So I'll have both my S2s plus the, the three Z down there. And we actually rented the wet skid pad at barber. They have this, it's just a wet skid pad. Uh, we rented that all day, Saturday to kind of do some just little driver training stuff for, um, for really anyone that wants to do it. But um, we've got a, pretty decent sized group coming down from up here down to that event so
1: well i was looking a little bit about the or at the the schedule for the weekend and i'm gonna drive the civic down um actually finch and i are gonna um co-drive um and i already had covid so i'm not worried about getting sick and uh so like (laughs) we're we're gonna just assume that like everything's fine there. So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna tag team drive down to Alabama on Friday. I think or the goal is to leave here by like I don't know two or three. Uh, that's my house, and you can get to Barber in less than seven hours. Um, but yeah. I uh, I'm gonna need to do brake pad swap when I get there, which is kind of annoying. But uh, yeah. driver's meeting is at seven twenty a.m. on Saturday morning. So I think I've got to get to the track before then to do that work so that we're ready for the advanced sessions, uh, which started, I think like eight 30.
0: You so, should probably just head down. I think Wednesday night because we're, we rented mid pond on Thursday. We don't, which I don't have
1: vacation time to be doing that. I've, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> averaging two grid lives a month for the next eight months. <laughs>
0: huh. Figure so, it out, Abe.
1: I know I figured out, um, <laughs> speaking of that. Uh, Adam was very excited about the event that's going to happen at Heartland Motorsport Park in Kansas. It was Tope Topeka area. I've yeah. never driven there, but he uh, he's pretty enthusiastic that it's going to be a good, a really good time. Do you think that that's going to be a track that you want to attend?
0: I, I don't even uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I definitely will want to attend to it, but I I I don't. I honestly don't even know. I've never driven that track. I don't even know what it looks like.
1: <laughs> well, I think he said that there's like a lot of elevation. It's just kind of a rowdy circuit.
0: So, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely be down for it. I'm. If you haven't figured it out, I'm pretty bad at the planning part. I usually can't figure out what I'm doing up until like a week before.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> I probably wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, prepared and ready for all of this stuff at Barber every year without you guys being like, hey, get your stuff together. We're going.
0: <laughs> right. Everything is so... I mean, I don't know if it I, I feel everything's last minute, but there's just so many events always taking place. It's so hard to plan that far in advance. Like there's there's an event every single month, to, you know, sometimes multiple in one month. So it's it's so hard to figure out what I'm doing, when and, and will the car be ready. And will I have enough money to do it?
1: <laughs> so um, you've got the January event at Barber. And I think we've got an ice battle plan for February. I don't know how Correct. good february is for for ice, but uh um what can you give me like a rough run- rundown of your schedule throughout the year?
0: um I wish I could, but I don't really even know the schedule yet. have to we are going to
1: um to coda. For GLDC and Superlap in March. That's a March event this year instead of February. Is that one that you want to attend? Do you have do you have an urge to drive a Coda?
0: I, I do. I and the desire is there. I, I want to. Um, I just don't know if it's in the cards yet. Um uh, I really, we really need to sit down. We kind of operate more as a team. So we got to figure out, you know, who wants to do what events and where. Um for just one person to go to an event at Coda, it gets expensive. Sure. But if we can take four people, you know, and split costs and the drive and all that stuff up, then it becomes a little more feasible. So we, we try to operate more as a team in that sense, just because everything becomes cheaper and easier. Sure. So I, we, we really just need to sit down and figure out who's doing what. And so
1: typically the team is probably you and Alex and Pete and Ronnie.
0: Pretty much. And Brandon, and Brandon and just kind of, but yeah, pretty much. Um, anyone from up around the, you know, the, our Midwest area, you know, we, we welcome everyone, I guess, uh, as part of the team. It's not just, you know, very exclusive or anything like well, that. I, I think
1: I've talked about the, um, the, the gangs that exist in the Midwest, uh, track scene. It's, it's not like it's not ever hostile, but there are these yeah. like driving groups uh, mm-hmm. of people. And I can name like a half dozen right now, right. uh, yeah. of, of just like, it's- at rs motors or asm they're like kind of one thing and like you've got the the raft guys in ohio and that's another thing and you've got hard times and and you've got torque team and like all of these different like social groups i guess Um, yeah
0: they're kind of kind of like clicks but not not exactly you know it's just it ends up working out easier you know people like to go as a group and it becomes a little more fun that way and and we found it just to be a little uh cheaper and easier you know we've kind of divvied up tasks between people. you know, this person does the, you know, figures out the travel arrangements and this person figures out, you know, the tools and and equipment and everything. And, you know, it it just becomes so much easier. It's, it's a lot to do by yourself. And especially these, these long hauls that are, you know, thousand miles away um, to do it by yourself is that, that to be able to, to get the car ready by yourself, to do all the travel stuff by yourself. It's, it's too much.
1: So, uh, we've been, we've been at this for an hour. Um, I want to say thank you. I want to talk a little bit about the work that you did to my civic, um, (laughs) last weekend. Uh, I brought up to you a car. Um, you ordered a clutch for me, very basic OEM replacement, whatever. Um, and we did uh, a new clutch. We did a brake flush, which is pretty easy. Um, we did uh, fitment and alignment on a set of track wheels. And then we did uh, valve adjustment because I presume that the valves had never been adjusted in that car. And mm-hmm. uh, my my favorite thing about working with you is just how fast everything gets done. And it's amazing to me how much better, and maybe it's in my head, but it's amazing how much better the car seems to just like idle and drive. Like <laughs> it, it it feels actually uh, taking the clutch out and, and now driving on this, uh, OEM replacement. I think that what was in there probably wasn't original, um, because the pedal is lighter than it was. Um, and, and I wonder if, you know, someone just put in like a stage one replacement, whatever, but like it is, it's just a pleasure to drive now. Not that I didn't <laughs> love it before, but like, it's great.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's good. I'm ha- I'm happy. It's, um, it's treating you well so far. um, some of it could be maybe placebo, could be. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe just, yeah, you knowing that it's got a fresh clutch and everything in there. Well, you know, like I, even... I, I do the same thing after, after I do some stuff on my car, you, you do an oil change on your car and you're just like, man, this car runs so much better now. Well, yeah, like, I, I feel dang. like
1: it's, it's, it wasn't loud before, but it's, um, like mechanically up front, it's just not as noisy. Like, I feel like it idles better. Um, you know, obviously, when I told Adam this, he was like, you're a moron. Of course it's, of course it's better. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. Like, you know, if you're not on top of some of that general maintenance stuff, uh, it's, it's amazing. Like how much you just get used to, right? Like yep. if it ran like crap and that's the way it's always ever run, you would never know anything different.
0: Um, right. But yeah, you don't know because you don't know. <laughs> so,
1: um, are you, uh, let, let's talk just a minute more about ASM and, you know, are you looking for new customers or are there projects that you haven't done yet that you're looking to tackle?
0: Um, I'm, I'm, I'm open to any new projects. Um, I, I, I like learning. So, I mean, I like learning new platforms, new cars, um, different types of swaps. Uh, but, but for me, the big thing is it's got to make sense. You know, I, I don't want to just do something just, to be the first to do it. You know, I, it, I if you're going to do a swap, like what's the reason behind it and, and is there a goal or, or you know, what, what are we doing? You know, I don't want to just, just do something. I want to, I want there to be purpose. Well, you can, uh, you can
1: buy those, um, those type R motors as crate motors. Now, would you ever consider doing something with one of those?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, it needs to make sense. Like I, I've had, I've heard, I've had people all the time message me, you know, I want to do K swap in this. Cause it's never been done before. I'm like, eh, okay. I mean, I can, you know, but that doesn't excite me, I guess. And when I get excited about a project, I feel like I do a lot better job on something. Sure. Uh, well, like, so you you know, mean, I mean,
1: with, with those type bars, uh, I know that they announced Honda announced for like, or HPD announced forever ago that you could, you could buy one of these crate motors. But the thing I never really, uh, saw that was worked out was like, okay, well like you buy a unit, um, how do you run it? Like, you know, are the, are there wiring harnesses and stuff available aftermarket to plug in your ECU to get all that stuff to work? Or is so, that just like on you?
0: So I believe on on the the newer type R motor stuff that they're selling the crate motor, they'll sell you the harness and ECU and everything to make it run. But, and it will run just fine, but you don't really have much tunability. Like you don't get to retune the engine or anything. It's basically a full crate engine with ECU and harness you plop in your chassis and that's how you get to run it.
1: Sure. So, like, if you wanted to, um, I guess you would never, officially, you would probably never turn that into a streetcar because they're selling those to you as like race swaps. Correct. But you yeah. You still a, need like, you know, brake lights and headlights and all that stuff to work. Is that just like separate?
0: Yeah. Typ- typically, that would be separate. That'd be part of your, you know, your chassis wiring. So, I, I'm assuming, anyways, when they sell you these, the, the Type R motor they're giving you everything the harness and everything and you'll maybe have like a flying lead or something where you just here's your power here's your ground here's your ignition and you know that's it like they'll maybe they supply you with a little fuse box and everything to run the engine as like a standalone and then everything else is on your own that's my guess anyways i could be wrong
1: that sounds hard
0: <laughs> that's um, that's how a lot of i mean that's honestly like a, a lot of the case swaps and stuff i've done um, so far, we the engine stuff gets hooked up almost as a full standalone, you know, it's got its own little fuse box, CCU, and everything. And then the chassis is kind of its own wiring. So,
1: so, uh, There's we've been at this ways. for, I guess, an hour and seven minutes, which is quite a long time. And, uh, we do miss Adam, but, uh, <laughs> First, Is, I wanna I wanna thank you for being on the show and ask my uh, if you know if if there's anywhere people can follow the work that you're doing uh, or reach out to you. You know, what's your preferred method of contact? Can you provide that?
0: Um, it, pro- probably the best way to contact us would be just through our website or email. Um, we should have a contact us uh, form on the website. I think it's what's just as. Asmotorsports.us. I don't. I don't think that's it.
1: Monster. Well, uh, Moss told there, me, there, yeah, it's, it's shop.asmotorsport.com.
0: Yeah. No, that's not it either. No, that, I think you're right. There's shop, there's our website, which they both all, it all forwards to the same site now. So it should just be asmotorsports.us should take you to the right spot.
1: I'm checking that right now. <laughs> I, want, I want to be right here. Yeah. Asmotorsports.us. Okay. It's forwards to shop Great.
0: Yes. That's the best place to probably contact us.
1: Um, and you do some stuff on Instagram. What's do you, do you want people to follow you there?
0: You can. Yeah. That one, it's just, it started off as my personal account, and it just still is my personal account, um, which my personal account is also my business. So I mean, it's all the same thing now, but it's just Dism, D I Z M M.
1: Which sounds kind of like DSM, kind of. I
0: don't know. That's where going. it started. I used to work with DSMs when I was like 18. Yeah. And then and I got stupid.
1: <laughs> um okay well it's been a pleasure having you on the show i want to thank all of the patreon listeners you guys will probably get first access to the lunch breakdown with andy um happy new year uh, thank you for supporting the show um you guys have made a ton of things possible this year for us and i think even in the 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 way of covid uh we're gonna get to do a little bit of travel uh probably this trip to barber and things and we plan to record uh, with a bunch of people while we're down there, uh, I think Adam's gonna try and make it. He's working on a really an Accord motor swap for his mm. race car because he can't leave like well enough alone. So he's putting in a an old 2.3 Accord motor, I think, into a Civic, which is something he's done before, but like has to do it all over again because like he doesn't have any of the stuff anymore. um But Barber's two weeks away. Uh, if you are interested in that event. I, I would highly recommend it. It's a really cool HPDE at a kind of a fantastic place. And, uh, we I believe it is to-
0: filling up. So if you want to do it, better get on it soon, get your tickets. And, uh,
1: thank you for supporting the show. We look forward to doing a lot of, um, uh, new content for with, with maybe some people you haven't heard before, um, soon. So thanks again. Uh, happy new year. And we'll talk to you all soon.
0: Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jibay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pittsburgh Grid Live to say hello.